Welcome to Your Province, Your Premier, heard on QR Calgary and in Edmonton on 630 Chad. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. If you have a question, a concern, something on your mind for the Premier, you can phone or text those numbers 403-974-8255 in Calgary, 780-496-0063 in Edmonton. A big reminder, please Please keep those questions or texts as short as possible. All right, Premier Smith is ready and waiting to hear from you today. Premier Smith, welcome to your province, your premier. Hello, Wayne. Can you hear me? Uh, I can hear myself. There we there go. There we go. Hello, right. Wayne. I am here. All right. Now, you've been taking some heat since we last spoke on the show, primarily because of growing objections to the Alberta Pension Plan proposal following the national ad campaign and from just about everybody, including other premiers, economists, conservative leader Pierre Polyev. But the other main topic of discussion surrounds the clean energy regulations, the federal net zero target of 2035. So let's start off with the pension plan. I've got a number of points. I, I know we're not going to have time to address all of them, but I'm sure our callers will raise those issues. First, the format of the online survey. Uh, It asks people what they would like to see in an Alberta pension plan, but it doesn't ask whether they even want the plan. Why is that? Well, because I think people haven't really had a chance to process the idea that we might have our own pension plan, what it would look like. So part of the consultation is telling people what it would look like. There's a few components to it. One is the asset transfer um, and how we would invest that. The other is the amount of premiums we would pay and whether people would prioritize those being lower. Uh, The other would be the amount of pension benefit our seniors would get and those would be higher. So we wanted to give people the information and just see what their initial reaction to it was. So that was part of the reason why it's structured that way. And so we're getting some great feedback and if we feel like people um, have enough information that they want to go to a referendum, then ultimately that's what we will do. Would you say it's a matter of emotional response for a lot of people before they even look at the information? Uh, There's no doubt about that. I mean, I think that the uh, Uh, Unfortunately, there was a lot of misinformation during the campaign. The NDP were quite clearly telling people that their pension would be stolen, which is absolutely absurd. You cannot leave the CPP unless you have an equal or better plan. So I think a lot of people were preconditioned to think one thing. And in fact, what we have found is that with the LifeMark report, we're entitled to $334 billion because we over-contribute. Those over-contributions keep on getting invested. We continue to over-contribute. And as a result, our seniors here have dramatically overpaid in their entire time in, in, in their working lives. A lot and of so- disagreement over those numbers, though, uh, Premier Smith. Did you expect that? How are we going to know? Which numbers are the right ones, if if ever? I would hope, well, there will be a a, a firm answer. We have to have a firm answer. That's what we've heard from people. Uh, What we've asked, we've asked the federal government, we've asked Christopher Freeland, if you think that our calculation is wrong or we've misinterpreted the act, then tell us what you think it should be. We've also asked the CPPIB Investment Board as well. If you think we've misinterpreted the act, do your own analysis and tell us what that number is. And so we're waiting to see if they will uh, give us that answer. If not, I mean, this is, we'll, we'll ultimately have to to be decided from a legal perspective. We'll have to ask the court to give us their judgment on what the act says. But we feel pretty confident. I mean, we hired a well-known firm, Morneau Chappelle. They're actuaries. We've, they now become LifeMark. They did two analyses on the report. That's what they've given us. And quite frankly, no one else has come back with a with a counter number in an official capacity. Everybody everybody says that they don't want us to do it. And, you know, that's, that's an argument. I understand why people feel a sense of national pride about it. I do. But the fact 
fact that they haven't come back to us with a counter number and the fact that the rest of the country now begins to understand that how important Alberta is in our over contributions, that's the conversation that we need to have because that's just not been fair to our seniors. And to that point, boy, public engagement on this issue has really struck a chord. I haven't seen anything this debatable on a national scale, quite frankly, since... Well, shows my age, going back to the, the FLQ crisis and maybe after that, uh, the National Energy Program when, uh, when Lougheed threatened to, uh, to turn off the pipes. You know, we have to have a conversation about the, how the country works. Uh, and Albertans have been trying to engage in that conversation for over 20 years. When I mean, Stephen Harper and other professors wrote the firewall letter and said, maybe we need to be more like Quebec. Maybe we need to have our own revenue collection, our own police, our own uh, immigration system, our own pension plan. This has been, in my entire time in politics, this has always been in the background. And so now we had the fair deal panel. People said, look into it. We did the report. They also had that caveat. If you make any changes, put it to a referendum. And so we, now people know the information and the debate continues. We're not making a decision until we've we finished our, our assessment. There's three more public consultations that the that Jim Dinning is going to do over the, the next couple of weeks. And then uh, we'll ask him to, to give us his assessment of where we find ourselves. All right. Now, some of the delegates at a climate conference held in Calgary this past we did not agree with your position that Alberta will not be able to achieve net zero by 2035 and that the government ad campaign really amounts to something just short of fear-mongering. So first, your response to those who might suggest you're tilting at windmills on this matter. The power grid almost failed eight times in the last year. That's real. When the power grid almost fails eight times in a single year, if politicians ignore that and it gets in that crisis situation in minus 30, people die. And I am not going to compromise the reliability and affordability of our power grid. That is the reality that we're facing. And so when we're engaging with how do we get a cleaner grid, how do we reduce emissions, it has to be done through the lens of how do we keep the lights on and how do we keep power affordable. And so our solution is to look to, out to 2050 so that we can have well-developed uh, technology around carbon capture utilization and storage. We've got time to build interties between British Columbia and all the way to, to uh, Manitoba so that we can leverage some of the, uh, the hydropower that they have. There's an opportunity for us to develop a regulatory environment around small modular nuclear. We've just given a $7 million grant to Sonova so that we can study how we might be able to deploy that. We've never had nuclear in this province. That requires a brand new regulatory process. And direct air capture. I mean, we have a, um, a company called Carbon Engineering that just got bought by, by Canadian Occidental for $1.2 billion, and they're rolling this out, the idea that you can capture the uh, CO2 from the atmosphere in order to do the final offset. All of that takes time. So yeah. we have a plan. It's just a different plan. But technology is changing so quickly, uh, Premier Smith. Uh, would you concede that, hey, if something comes along and we're able to reach that goal, is that something that would be on the table? In other words, we're going to do our darndest to reach it. And if we do, fantastic. If we don't, maybe our efforts towards that goal, even if we fall short, will enable us to at least reduce the timeline from 2050. In, in other words, we've got nothing to lose by trying and everything to gain. 100%. But here's the problem. The federal government and their clean electricity regs wants to make it a criminal code violation if you don't achieve it. And so there is no one who is going to invest on a best efforts basis if they fail in January 2035, they come and haul the, the, the CEO 
go away to prison. I mean, that, that's just not going to be an environment where people are going to want to invest in. That's why we are trying to get to some agreement with the federal government on a 2050 target with best efforts. And if we can deploy technology earlier, then let's do it. If we can work out our regulatory processes so that we can deploy projects earlier, let's do it. I mean, here, here's the reality. Just because a technology exists doesn't mean you have a streamlined way of getting it implemented. The, um, for instance, look at, uh, you know, the, I, I made the point at the conference, does anybody really think that if, um, if we were to try to completely replace our natural gas fleet, we would require four hydroelectric dams the size of Churchill Falls? Now, does anybody think <clears throat> we would be able to build four hydroelectric dams the size of Churchill Falls for deployment 13 years from now? No, like it's impossible to do that. There's certain things that they're just realities get in the way. The reality when you have these big projects are you have to do public consultation. You have to do First Nations consultation. You have to work with your municipalities. You have to make sure that you've got all of the environmental assessments done. And then you have to have the, the workforce able to deploy it and do those kinds of massive, massive projects. So there's just the things take time to do. And I think that that's one of the realities that we're trying to inject into the Okay, we're going to take one quick call and then we uh, we have to go to a break. So William has been hanging on since the beginning of the show. William calling in from Airthorpe. Go ahead, William. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm wondering, Danielle, when you're going to stop lying to the people of Alberta, when you'll actually start helping the people of Alberta instead of helping a multi-billion dollar fossil fuel industry who is destroying the biodiversity of our province and destroying the future of our next generation. All right. Uh, I think we got the gist of what William is talking about. Uh, go well, ahead, Premier Smith. He's just wrong. I mean, look, any, any type of industry that has an impact on the environment has policies to limit the impact while they're doing the extraction and then return the land to as natural condition as possible as quickly as possible when they're done. And and I would say that the the industry is is doing a better job than it ever has. They 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 had a target to reclaim five hundred million dollars in in liabilities this year based on rules we put in place that they have to start doing their uh, taking care of their historic liabilities and they exceeded it by over two hundred million dollars and they're going to continue with that level of investment until all the cleanup is done so look i mean i i know that there were legacy issues absolutely but i can tell you that the the people who are in charge of these companies today they care about the environment they are committed to cleaning it up they are committed to getting to zero emissions by 2030 2050 and and i'm very pleased with the leadership that i'm seeing all right i'm wayne nelson i'll be back with premier danielle smith more of your calls and texts when we return on your province your premier if you're just joining us, you are indeed listening to Your Province, your premier heard Saturday mornings for listeners throughout Alberta in Edmonton on 630 Chad here in Calgary on QR Calgary. A couple of quick texts before we go to the phone lines, and these are both uh, concerning APP, the Alberta Pension Plan. Uh, Judy says, as a lifetime Albertan, I'm not comfortable with subsequent premiers managing the APP. After all, look at what's going on with the Heritage Trust Fund. 
I'm pretty happy with what's happening with the Heritage Trust Fund. We've put $2 billion into it. We're going to continue to invest the income in the fund. And I would say that I I would hope that in in the future, people would continue to follow on that track. Because if we keep on doing that, it'll in no time be on its way to 50 billion or 100 billion and wean ourselves off our our investment or wean ourselves off a long-term reliance on on, uh, oil and natural gas revenues. So look, I, I can only control the the decisions that I can make today. It's true. And I, I, su- I suppose the question would be that it, it shouldn't be in the hands of politicians when you have investment funds. The the politicians make the decisions about, um, uh, about who they put on boards and the boards should be populated by people whose number one goal is to maximize the, the value that and returns that they get to people. And that's the approach that, that we're taking with the with AIMCO, which is $170 billion worth of assets under management. That would be the kind of approach we would have to take to this as well. Politicians shouldn't be making decisions on it at all. Okay. Tim has texted in on the chat line. He said, so define what an Albertan is. If someone who is born in Alberta moves to another province after paying into CPP for 40 years and the APP goes through, can they then apply for APP or is it CPP? Has this even been thought through? People from other provinces will then be claiming Alberta status based on living and working there for many years. Well, I, I mean, I think he, he raises a great point, and uh, Quebec Pension Plan has managed to work that out because you've got Quebecers who come to the rest of the country that then go back to Quebec and vice versa. So I think I would say that we do have portability agreements that have already been modeled between a major pension plan, the QPP and the CPP. So we would we would follow their protocols for. How they do it. This is the this is the business of actuarial science. P- pensions is complicated. I understand that, but that's why there's uh, there are there is expertise who can figure out portability issues. I, I have every confidence that because it's been worked out in another part of the country, we can work it out here too. All right, back to the phones. Barry is calling in from Edmonton. Go ahead, Barry. Hi, Premier. Yep. Thank you for taking my call. Yep. Go ahead, I Barry. I just want to ask you, um, like, why why are you running these these misinformation uh, ads? I just had a I just had a neighbor who came over to my place yesterday and spent four thousand dollars on a genset because he's worried about blackouts. And you and I both know there's no situation where we'd have a blackout here in this province. And I know that you can say that. There was eight times there was almost a blackout here. That's not realistic, Premier. And why are you doing this? The, you're you're taking it out on new Canadians that trust the government, trust what they say, and you're going on with this. I'm not even getting into the CPP, but to get on with this uh, with the electricity grid to try and scaremonger people to think that we're going to have blackouts here is completely unrealistic. Like, I mean, you can buy power from pretty well any other province, not to mention the fact that the rates in this province are the highest in the country, and it's not even close, Miss Premier. So I just, just would like your... Uh, just would like your rebuttal on that because I really think it's really a disgusting 
campaign that you're running on these people. Well, I, I can tell you that we 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 are in danger of having the grid fail. And I have to be honest with people about that, which is why we have to take measures to make sure that we have more baseload power coming onto the grid. We, uh, quite frankly, we, we shouldn't have phased out coal as fast as we did. We uh, we've had a, a plan to phase it out to 2030, which would have allowed for a reliable addition to the grid of more power as we needed it. And instead, we're uh, when we have our, our max days at 12,000 megawatts in the depth of winter and 12,000 mega, megawatts in the heat of summer, the uh, the grid's in trouble. It's stressed. That's what why we've Barry's, had... What about Barry's point that you can always buy electricity from no, elsewhere? No, it's not true. I mean, every province is now facing this, that they are constrained. In Quebec, <clears throat> they are no longer uh, signing long-term industrial power agreements because they just don't have reliable supply after 2028. In British Columbia, we are uh, they need their their power for the expansion of LNG Canada if they're going to go to, to the second phase of that. Um, I'm I'm told as well, Manitoba's in the same situation. Everyone is in the same situation that we're all constrained that we need to double our power between now and 2050. If we're going to solve this problem, we've got to solve it here. And so that's part of the reason why I'm very concerned that we don't have. We have barely any applications for new baseload power. Baseload power are things like hydroelectric. We ju- we just don't have the capacity or the, the type of river system here to allow for large-scale projects. Nuclear, we've never done nuclear before. Natural gas, there's nobody lining up to do a natural gas uh, project because the new rules being put in place by the federal government would force them to go to jail if they don't meet these targets by 2035. So I'm we have to realize we've got to solve this problem here. Baseload power is important because part of the reason why the grid fails is that on those days when it's minus 30 and the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining, we have to rely 100% on dispatchable power. Uh, we've had two instances in the in uh, in the in the last year where we had near failure, where there was no wind and solar practically at all. They were pr- producing less than 100 megawatts of power. That's the situation that we're in. We have to educate people because they've gotten used to having a reliable power grid because we had so much reliability we got from coal. And now, unfortunately, because of, of decisions that have been made prior to me getting there, we have unreliability, and I want to fix it. At the Environment and Climate Change uh, conference that was held here this past week, uh, a spokesman, uh, Caitlin Power, said, look, there's a major new gas plant that did come online, and it could run until 2043 under the clean electricity regulations. Well, look, if you talk to anybody who builds a gas plant, there's, they, they build them to run for 40 years. And there's a reason for that, because you, you have to be able to get your capital cost over that period of time. So having, having a, a, a consolation that the federal government will let you run your gas plant for a certain period of time, my view is let the gas plant run. Let's work on the carbon capture technology. Let's allow them to buy offsets if they don't get to 100%. And then they can, and then they can have the, the rollover of their capital when it makes sense to do so when you ask a company to completely restructure their plan partway through and not be able to to uh, to get their full capital cost back back you end up with stranded assets and then taxpayers fork over over billions of dollars to compensate them that is what ha- what happened when coal was asked to phase out early we shouldn't be doing the same thing to natural gas all right justin is on the phone from edmonton with a carbon tax question go ahead justin uh, good morning Premier. Yeah, go ahead, Justin. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure. I just wanted to make sure that I'm on the air. That's how come I usually open my thoughts. <laughs> we hear you, Justin, loud and clear. Go ahead. 
Okay, so now that the Liberal government has uh, suspended, uh, has eliminated the carbon tax on home heating oil in Atlantic Canada, could could this be an avenue for us to relitigate the carbon tax? Because the Supreme Court ruling that said that the carbon tax was constitutional was based on the fact that it applied to all fuels and applied to all regions of the country. Now, this policy that's just been implemented by the Liberals is favoring one part of the country and one source of fuel over the other. And oddly enough, home heating oil is more carbon intensive than natural gas, which the majority of Alberta households use. So could we work in a conjunction with other provinces to hopefully, to hopefully reverse this, uh, the, the Supreme Court decision now that new facts have come, now that new facts and new policies have come to light? Justin, I think you make a good point. There's no justification now for a federal price mandate if the federal government isn't going to follow its own mandate. And to be able to, to, to exempt the fuel tax on one particular type of home heating fuel concentrated in one particular region of the country, one incidentally where... Where most of the voters are. And uh, the Liberals have been yes. losing ground in the polls. I mean, it's so political and it's outrageous. Either, either you believe in the carbon tax and it applies equally across the board to all Canadians, regardless of their fuel use, or you're using it as a political tool to benefit one part of the country versus the other. And that's not right. We're all Canadians. We should be treated fairly. And our view has been end the retail carbon tax. We are seeing some great progress by large industrial operations who are have a pathway to get to net zero by 2050. We are going to make great progress there with the changeover technology. Hydrogen is going to become increasingly used in our economy. I just rode on a, a hydrogen bus. They were deployed them in Edmonton and Strathcona last week. I was there for the launch of that. I've driven a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. We are going to find new ways to be able to, to defray the, uh, the 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 emissions at the retail level. We have to stop punishing people when the technologies aren't available. The technologies aren't available yet. Let's get the industry to get the te- technologies available. Get rid of the retail carbon tax on gasoline, on diesel, on home heating, regardless of whether it's heating oil or whether it's propane or whether it's natural gas, like we have here. All right, Colleen is phoning in from Lethbridge with a question about H payments. Go ahead, Colleen. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hi. Uh, first, I want to tell you how much I appreciate everything you're doing for this province. And finally, someone to fight for us at the federal status. My pleasure. Thank you. Oh, thank you. My question is, can we quit forcing people off of H? Um, my husband no longer, or he ma- no, now makes uh, slightly more as a senior citizen because he had to transition off of H and um, become a senior. And that's taken away, uh, the, the little bit extra bit is taken away immediately because he now has to pay 30% of his prescription drugs. And if he has many health concerns, it lands up netting him a little less than what he made on H. But complicating this, I'm also on H, and my income has been reduced to just over $700. Apparently, his income is now deducted from my H check because his source of income is no longer exempt because the source of income is from a different hmm. um, different place. Wow, thank you. thank you for telling me that. I, I'll make sure that my, my uh, Seniors Community and Social Services Minister, Jason Nixon, looks into that. I, I know that there have been problems all the way along when somebody has a disability 
that we treat them differently when they're under 18 and then there's a different program when they're 18 then there's a different program when they're 65 and it's creating exactly the problems that you've been talking about so my 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 hope is that we have seamless support regardless of what a person's age is and i i didn't realize uh, until you you shared your story that when one individual ages out onto cpp it impacts the other spouse as well so let me see what i can do to uh, to raise that with minister nixon and see if there's if there's some some kind of solution that we can come up with all right text message on the uh, qr calgary line uh, premier smith i live in rural alberta i lose power at least five times a year i cannot depend upon the power system i have to have a backup system generator uh thanks uh, don well, there you have it. Thanks, thanks for the the impact. I mean, this is something we need to be aware of. Is that I know I know that the system has been so reliable for so long that people think that the idea of uh, of blackouts could never happen here. But Don says he's already experiencing it, and I watched what happened in Texas. Um, w- with great alarm because we've we've essentially paralleled the same kind of approach Texas has taken, and we just have to make sure that doesn't happen here. Okay, uh, Murray is phoning in from Edmonton on a homelessness question. Go ahead, Murray. Good morning, Premier Smith. Hi. Just want to tell you, uh, I always thought, why isn't this lady Premier? <laughs> <laughs> well, here I am. What have you got for me today, Murray? <laughs> okay, so I've called you many times on downtown Edmonton two blocks from the Hope Mission, um, which transition now is everyone sleeping in the snow outside the building's full. You mentioned during the election the Compassionate Intervention Act. I'd like to know what's up with that. Back in August, province gave Edmonton 60 mil for a 1,000 new beds somewhere. When are, where are those going to be? And They're opening apparently November 1, but the Compassionate Intervention Act, everyone's crapping on you because they feel that you're forcing me into treatment. I don't believe that's the case. I believe you're taking me to a safe space. Am I right or wrong? Have a great weekend. Well, I'm, I know I know there are differences of opinion. I think you share my opinion that it is not compassionate to watch somebody slowly killing themselves uh, with a drug addiction and living on the street. We, I don't think that that's what we do in a compassionate society. I know it's going to be a long consultation. It's going to be a difficult one, but we have to grapple with this because this opioid addiction and this fentanyl addiction is like nothing I've ever seen before. The the opi- opioids on the street now are five times more powerful than, uh, than traditional heroin and fentanyl is deadly uh, car fentanyl doubly deadly so so we we know that we um, have two paths that we're seeing for people who find themselves in addiction and one of them is recovery so we, we have got to get more people into recovery you will see in the coming weeks Dan Williams is uh, is working on how we, how to launch that consultation there'll be a robust process so people can tell us what they want to see how it would work we already have it by the way for those under the age of 17. So parents can intervene to get their, their children, their minor children forced into treatment. And so we are, we're looking at that as a model. We want to make sure we're doing it as a last resort. Like this isn't a first resort kind of thing. This is a, you overdosed six times in the last 24 hours. You've been on the street for five, you know, for a year, it's t- it's time for us to, to find another pathway for you. So we have to make sure that we're doing it the right way. 
with a lot of consultation, respecting uh, individuals' rights, but also making sure that when they get past the point of being able to make decisions for themselves and they are a harm to themselves or others, that's when we have to step in and make sure that we, we, we get them well. Now, the fall session of the legislature starts on Monday. There had been some talk uh, earlier after your election of the Compassionate Intervention Act has that been delayed? Is it, are we going to expect it to be introduced in this session? As, as No, it's not going to be introduced in this session. It has to be consulted on first. So the consultation will begin very shortly. And then it will, um, depending on how that goes, it would it would be something that we would, uh, if, we, if we get the results that um, uh, back in time, where we have a pretty good idea of how to proceed with it, maybe as early as the spring, but more likely next fall. What are some of the uh, the big topics, the big uh, the big bills that are going to be coming on in this session, uh, Premier Smith? Well, uh, people are probably not going to be surprised that Bill One is going to be the Taxpayer Protection Act. We're going to be amending the act right now. No one can implement a sales tax unless it's put to a referendum of the people. So we're going to add personal income tax and corporate income tax to that. That you can't in- increase those without a referendum put to the people. We uh, now, that are- could be very costly to the province, could it not? No. In fact, what we found is that by reducing the rates of of corporate income tax, we actually increased the revenue. So I know that there is sometimes this view that you just keep on increasing rates and you'll increase revenue. Sometimes it works the other way. The NDP increased rates, corporate revenue dropped. We decreased rates, corporate revenue increased. We're now at $8.2 billion in corporate revenue, the highest that we've ever had in our history. So I think that that's one one of the things that we want to make sure. If somebody's going to raise rates, then they have to make sure that the people are on on board with that. So uh, so that's what we will put through. Uh, And we'll also be doing some some major health reform. We've already started. I was pretty excited about Adriana LaGrange's recent announcement that we're going to be compensating doctors as they add more patients so that they have an incentive to take Take, uh, on the administrative burden of more uh, patients on their roster. We'd heard that administration is one of the issues that docs are facing. And we're also allowing uh, nurse practitioners to set up their own private practices too and start billing the province to l- directly. We're just working out that framework. And I think that that's also going to allow people to have uh, more access to a family practitioner. Every single person in Alberta should have access to a family practitioner. That is our goal. And so I'm pretty pleased that we've got that initial step, but there's more to come. All right. Uh, Nick has been holding for some time. A question about the Springbank Dam. Haven't heard that one for a while. Oh, yeah. uh, go ahead, Nick. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Yeah, good morning, Premier Smith. Uh, thanks for doing this program here on a Saturday morning. I'm sure you'd rather be doing something else here. but uh, <laughs> oh, I'm happy to be here with you, Nick. What's well, on your mind today? Well, well thanks. Yeah, uh, I'm actually the fellow that had previously called in and asking you about the Tri-Rivers Joint Reservoir proposal, if you remember that, hearkening back to your radio days. But uh, I was hoping that that project maybe would have been pursued as an alternative to Spring Bank. But, you know, of course, that you know, fell by the wayside. But, no, maybe if I could just plant an idea with you to maybe look at pursuing some sort of an alternative form of uh, Tri-Rivers, you know, with still putting a dam on the Sheep River and maybe just tapping into the Highwood River, I, I just think it would be a great idea just to, to develop a, an additional reservoir for southern Alberta for, for storing water and for recreation. Uh, just if I can leave that with you. Thanks. Nick, Nick and if I can just get you to remind me, the, the Tri-Rivers were the, the Highwood, the Sheep, and the Elbow? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. So you're right. I mean, I by the time I got elected, things were 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 too far advanced on the Springbank dry dam for me to uh, to to look at another option. But I'll tell you what I am looking at is that we need a solution for the bow. Because the, when you look at especially the impact on Calgary and downstream, that was the confluence of the elbow and the bow that created those problems. So Springbank Dry Dam, it addresses the elbow issue, but the uh, the Bow River still needs a solution. We're in the process of consulting on three different sites and 100% agree with you. We uh, absolutely need a new reservoir for a number of reasons. One, because reservoirs also allow for for um, recreation. I mean, Chestermere, that is a reservoir that is part of the Western Irrigation District. Oh, come on now. When I grew up, they called it the Slough just east of Calgary. There you have it. And now look <laughs> at it. It's beautiful. And so people uh, are, find it very desirable to live around round reservoirs, so that's one part of it. But you also then can um, uh, use the, the water uh, management. You can, you can add a, 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 at least a small hydroelectric project so you can get clean energy off it. You can also do manage the water levels for flood mitigation principally. And then you can also use it for uh, downstream for, uh, for irrigation so that you can manage it for agriculture use and other use. So I, I agree. We, we have to, have to build more reservoirs. But I think our, our next solution has got to be on the bow. All right. Uh, Doug has texted in on the QR Calgary line. He says, good morning, Premier Smith. If coal was phased out too early, could you start those plants back up for backup power? No, they've been, they've been, uh, re, they've been refitted for natural gas. So they've already been retrofitted. So they're, I think the last coal plant comes off stream sometime early in uh, 2024. And so now we have to deal with the, the consequences that we spent a lot of money phasing out coal, a lot of money replacing it with gas. But now we've got to build new, new baseload power so that we can keep on growing and we can, we can make sure that the, that the lights are always on and the heat is always able to work for you and the air conditioning in summer when we get to those, those high-intensity days. We've got more work to do on that. All right. Roger is phoning in from Edmonton with the Alberta Pension Plan question. Go ahead, Roger. Oh, good morning, Premier Smith. Um, I have a comment, question, and a recommendation, if I may. Please. Uh, first of all, I think uh, the APP is a great idea. Uh, my main reason is that we can uh, control that fund and invest right back into Alberta, uh, as one example. And my question to you is, in the case of a shortfall, would you make it uh, law that the provincial government would have to guarantee my pension? I think you'd have to, do, uh, of course, you'd have to do that. Although I would say that the, the level of assets that we are entitled to are so high that the uh, the possibility of a of a shortfall at this point would be would be very unlikely. It would be the best funded pension plan in the country because we'd have twenty, I believe, twenty four times the amount of assets relative to the the uh, the liability to pay out. So I feel I feel pretty confident looking at those numbers that that uh, our seniors overpaid and that it's we, we should have that conversation about whether we should bring those dollars back so that we can increase the the, the benefits for our seniors as as well as uh, as reduce the premiums for our ongoing um, ongoing uh, 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 participants in the plan as we go forward. That's the big debate that we have to have right now. Shirley has texted in. Uh, I'm only going to read the last half of her text. Basically, will you keep the Alberta pension plan separate from general revenues? Yes, has to be, 100%. All right, we're going to uh, take an early break here, and uh, we will be back. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Danielle Smith, and uh, it's our final segment. We'll wrap things up when we come back on Your Province, Your Premier.
Wayne Nelson back with you on your province, your premier, your opportunity to speak with Premier Danielle Smith one-on-one. If you've got a specific question you'd like answered, you know the numbers, 403-974-8255. In Calgary, 780-496-0063 in Edmonton. All right, who's been waiting the longest? Uh, We're going to go to Kim in Calgary. Uh, Kim has an affordability question. Go ahead. Kim, you're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Hi, thank you. Yeah, I was calling because your government already failed um, with the affordability benefit program. You failed many Albertans who qualified for that uh, benefit, but they were they were put in front of insurmountable barriers because your government required mandatory online application to people who had no internet access. Then after a few months, you said, go to a licensed registry and they'll apply on your behalf which ignored people with mobility and transportation issues who had no means to get to a licensed registry. All of those folks were left out of the affordability benefit program. It seems to me that your programs are more in tune with harvesting Albertans' current data than actually delivering on programs. How can you expect Albertans to allow you to take over the pension when you couldn't even deliver on your own initiated and failed delivery of the affordability benefit program. Oh, I, I, I dispute that it was a failed delivery. I mean, we, were, we, had, uh, uh, we found every way we could to accommodate those who qualified, anyone under the age of 18, anyone over the age of 65. I remember going to a, a long-term care facility, and the staff there were wonderful. They were going around with an iPad, helping all of their residents to be able to sign up. We wanted to make it as accessible as possible, which is why we wanted to assist people in getting it done through the registry. And in point of fact, I think I'm just seeking some advice some uh, the, the exact exact number from my staff. I think we had over 2 million people who ultimately received benefits. For a program to be designed that way, from conception to implementation within two months and delivering benefits to people each and every month for six months, I, I look at that as a success. We had 16,000 people who uh, weren't able to get their initial payment only because they had entered their information wrong. So we did a couple of patches so that they were able to go back in and edit their bank account information. Same thing with the registries. So I would, uh, I'd put it in the other category. I'd say it was, a, it was a success and we were able to help people through a really tough time in the first part of the year. Uh, we've also, with the other programs that we had, the fuel tax relief has had a major impact. Fuel taxes, as we know, as we're now seeing, carbon taxes increase the cost of everything because it increased the cost of every facility that is trying to do heating and electricity. It increases the cost of anything, any goods being transported by, uh, by, by gasoline and diesel. So we felt that at least by addressing some of those costs, we'd be able to keep inflation lower, and it worked. We're, we're, we now have the lowest inflation rate in the country, and some of those things are out of our control. Interest rates are in the control of Justin Trudeau. The amount of spending that at the federal level that has driven infl- inflation is that that's under control of Justin Trudeau, and the carbon tax uh, at the moment is under control of Justin Trudeau, which is why we're asking for it to be eliminated too. John has texted in on the 6:30 Ched line. He says, "Please ask the premier to define the word affordable when it comes to all the talk about affordable housing." 
There's a couple of things. I mean, we're looking at affordable housing is normally the term that you use for those vulnerable Albertans who are very low income and may, and may be on income support who need to be able to, to access a place to live. So we have um, we have a major investment that we are making to uh, to to work with with our partners in the nonprofit sector and, in, and municipalities to build those facilities. But attainable housing is, I think, the dream that every person has when they're in their 20s, that they're one day going to own a home. And one of the things, the things that I'm so excited about with Alberta is that we have a, a real ability to, to deliver on that promise in a way that big cities like Toronto and Vancouver simply can't. So it's part of the reason why we're taking a dual approach, not only working on building, I think, 25,000 new affordable housing units for the vulnerable within the next uh, few years, but then on the attainable housing, we're, we're, I've been challenging the municipalities to work with us to clear away the regulations that are standing in the way of building of building new uh, uh, building new subdivisions. So we would love to see, just like St. Albert has, where they give you a business license in two days, a development permit within five days, and a building permit within th- within three weeks. If every municipality was able to do that, that would unlock the ability of the private sector to get some of those those projects underway. And then our job is to come in and make sure the infrastructure is there. Let's make sure that the roads um, are, are going to be built. Let's make sure that there's schools and health centers and, and other supports in those communities. So that's how I'm hoping that we'll, we'll be able to stay ahead of it. We've done, we've done reasonably well compared to some of the other provinces. So far. But uh, with the number of people who are coming here, we just have to do so much more. All right. I'm going to uh, put this question out there. And this is just for our our listeners, not necessarily for you, Premier Smith. The question is, how does Justin get chosen to ask a question every single week? It's weird. Well, I'll tell you. Here's how it works. We have so many phone lines. The callers phone in. It's on a rotation basis. So when the phone line opens up, if Justin happens to be the next one who calls in at that time, his name goes in. We don't we don't pick and choose who comes in. So I just wanted to, to let everybody know. And uh, Wayne, before we run out of time, I should just mention, so it was 1.2 million people who were able to access our affordability programs. So right. that to me is a, a model for how we're going to be able to deliver those kinds of programs again. Because And we've had two other successes because we had uh, 38,000 people who needed to have emergency support payments because they were evacuated during the fires. We had an online portal as well that allowed them to access. And then most recently, recently with the E. coli outbreak and giving compassionate par- uh, payments to those parents. We, we used a similar type of approach. So we're getting better and better at it. And so uh, um, if, if we need to do more of these kinds of things, we will. And then uh, to the question about the number of spaces in Edmonton this winter, I was I was really pleased that um, Mayor Amarjeet Sohi worked so well with my with my minister, Jason Nixon, on coming to a solution on that. And uh, because Edmonton has had fewer shelter spaces in the past than Calgary. So this winter, it's going to be 1,727 spaces that uh, they will have. And I'm I'm really hopeful that they get rolled up very quickly because you're right, winter's here and we want to make sure that people have a, a comfortable place um, when the weather gets really, cold, really, really cold. All right, uh, Lorna in Edmonton on a CPP Alberta Pension Plan question. Go ahead, Lorna. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Uh, hello, Premier Smith. Um, I have concerns about the CPP. I've been listening to commentaries that say that the the quick rise of interest rates have left pension funds um, holding bonds that are possibly paying 1% instead of the 5% Mm -hmm. that they could be paying, could be receiving now, but it's hard for them to liquidate those assets. So my question is, has there been an evaluation done since that rise in the bonds? 
And then that leads to a second question is, I don't know how to find out, is our Canada pension plan holding a lot of government of Canada bonds that we're going to be receiving 1% interest on them where we could have received 5% and thereby we're subsidizing Trudeau's incompetent trillion dollar debt well those are all really good questions i i have not done uh the deep dive into how cpp currently invests its assets i know that andrew Coyne has written many many critical articles over the years about the uh the management of the cpp investment fund that's that's part of the reason why i've i've been watching it with 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 some interest i'm concerned about the management expense ratios and how much they're paying for management and how many managers they have that's the area that he's looked into but i i i i I don't know the answer to you about about how it's invested but i think you raise a good point that if it is being used as a way of investing in bonds that are now losing value as opposed to maximizing the investments for the benefit of the pensioners then we we have to take a closer look at that so i'll um i'll make a note of that as we're as we're going through our continued consultation but that's part of the reason why the mandate of a pension plan has to be it has to be returns and i think one of the criticisms that came up recently premier smith is there is some truth in having a greater pool of population contributing to a pension plan uh, than there is for a, a smaller pool of, of, of the population such as Alberta would have. Would, would you agree with that? If we weren't overpaying, then, yeah, I, I could see the wisdom of that. But what is happening is that the, the rest of the country is asking Albertans with our small population to overpay to subsidize the larger population. That's part of the reason why we've overpaid so much over the years and why those uh, those those uh, overpayments have compounded to the level that they have. So that's the question. I mean, maybe Canadians are happy and Albertans are happy with us continuing this unfairness and the way the plan is structured. But I've always felt like exactly Exactly as your as your uh, your your uh, texter put it, that the benefit of being in a larger plan shouldn't be that you end up paying more than you otherwise would. The benefit of being in part of a larger plan should be that you should pay less than you otherwise would. It's is it completely upside down? That's right. All right. Uh, Jason is texting in on the QR line. Says. Premier, will you go on the record and apologize to the people of Alberta for wasting in excess of $80 million on the weak, unused painkillers you purchased? You know, I think people have to remember what was happening at that time because we had a lot of supply chain problems. No one knew when we were going to get children's Tylenol, children's uh, ibuprofen. There were, uh, when you have a high fever of a very young child and you can't bring it down, it can cause a serious harm to that child, even even death in the worst cases. Mums were going on to Facebook pages talking about how they would be able, whether they could find some and whether they could swap it. People were, were going pharmacy to pharmacy. People were actually going to the U.S. and Mexico and bringing back product. And so that's the environment you have to remember we were in. I was asked to do something and we did. We found uh, another supply. We brought it, we brought it in. We alleviated the crisis, and uh, now we'll, we'll we still have a contract open with them for how we might be able to to continue to fulfill that contract on others on other um, on other services. But you know what? People expected me to act, and I did. All right, Premier Smith. Uh, we've run out of time. Thanks for joining us again today. Thanks, Wayne. See you again. Premier Danielle Smith will be back for your province, your premier next Saturday. I'm Wayne Nelson, and you have been listening to your province, your premier.